bored of the same old music? Weekend Offender Radio pulls together an eclectic mix of classic tunes, bangers and anthems. Join us for our classic hip-hop evenings, house party sessions on Friday and Saturday nights and chilled out sets for the Sunday morning headache. Last night a DJ saved my life from a broken heart. Hold it down, boy, your head's getting blurred. I know you can't stop thinking of her. Visit radio.weekendoffender.com. Welcome to the Talk Derby to Me podcast. I'm Blake Fallows. Today we've got Ross Fletcher, who was the Derby County commentator for BBC Radio Derby in the early noughties. He called some, some, some amazing moments, but also some, some not so amazing moments. Relegation from the Premier League and, and some difficult times under, under the Three Amigos and, and the like. But he'll always be remembered for calls such as it is Wembley. It is so, so Wembley. And of course, his amazing commentary at Wembley when Derby County got promoted against West Brom in 2007. So we'll be hearing from Ross Fletcher all about his career and his Derby County story shortly. As ever, I've got to thank the sponsors. They make this happen. They pay for everything. So thank you to them as ever. Sky Recruitment Solutions, they're a dedicated recruitment specialist. They've got offices in Derbyshire, Nottingham and in West Yorkshire as well. I follow them on, on my Facebook. If you want to go and check them out on Facebook, it's uh, Sky Recruitment Solutions Ripley. There's jobs every single day. And if you're on the lookout for, for work in the Derbyshire area, in the East Midlands area, get onto Sky Recruitment Solutions and they'll sort you out. Let's get going then. Here's former BBC Radio Derby commentator, Ross Fletcher. So welcome on to, to Talk Derby to me, Ross Fletcher, who was, I've just um, been doing a little bit of research just to make sure I get everything okay, and it, it referred to as the voice of Derby County, uh, former voice of Derby County, so a really good guest for us. Uh, how are you at the minute? Yeah, very good. Thank you, Blake. It's it's so funny chatting to people as young as yourself where you're ageing me, and I, I feel like everyone's as old as me, and if they talk about me being the former voice of Derby County, well, everyone knew that, right? But it's, it is quite quite a long time ago. Probably 10, 12 years since I last commentated on a Derby County game. So, yes, that was a, a, a long and illustrious part of my career. But, um, yeah, over a decade ago now, it seems crazy. How, how are you at the minute and what, what is life? What are you up to career-wise to, just to start? Yeah, so I live in the USA in the upper left coast, the Pacific Northwest in Seattle. And I've been in the US and actually here in Seattle since February 2012. So just over 10 years. You can tell by the accent, right? It's completely changed. Um, although I do occasionally drop my T's for D's and my wife picks me up on that. So I currently work for Root Sports Northwest, the regional sports TV station here in uh, ice hockey so obviously hockey over here but there's a brand new nhl team the seattle kraken there i go again t's for d's seattle kraken um who started playing the nhl this last year and i was very fortunate to get the role as one of the the hosts on the tv side of things covering the pre-game post-game and intermission coverage from the studios and from the arena climate pledge arena so uh, hockey is my thing right now um before that brief potted history in america 
um, left the BBC after 16 years in the UK to come and take a job with Seattle Sounders, the Major League Soccer team here between 2012 and 2016. Did a little bit of soccer for Fox Soccer over here, calling European games and the Bundesliga and stuff like that. And then bits and pieces in between. So a, a richly lived life, I think I would say. But uh, yeah, the roots are in, are in the USA these days. How did you find the transition? This is a question that um, I, I spoke to Rob Palmer. He came on and, and with me doing a similar, well, wanting to do a similar job to you eventually. What are the differences between radio commentary and, and presenting on the radio to presenting with pictures on the television? Is it because people tend to go, oh, you've done radio, why don't you do a bit of telly? But they're completely different arts, aren't they? Yeah, they pretty much are. And it's really interesting having that conversation with people in the UK compared to people in, in the USA, because so much more of what I see in the USA, particularly in soccer and also in, in, in hockey, because it's, it's much more difficult to see where the puck is going, that there is more of a tendency in the USA to call a television play-by-play, -play, as we call it here, commentary, like a radio commentary. Whereas in the UK, it's, it's a very different skill. So on radio in, in the UK, if you're calling football, you are the eyes and ears of the listener. You need to imagine that you've got your eyes closed and you're listening to what's going on. So the commentator needs to be able to describe in really good detail what exactly is happening play by play by play so that you get the full picture, including you know, the atmosphere and things that are going on off the ball, maybe and just building that general idea of the scene, setting the scene and making sure you, you tell that story as fully as possible. TV is in, entirely different. And I always remember this little nugget of advice from Clive Tildesley, the longtime ITV and TalkSport commentator, who said on TV, basically your job is an embellisher. The pictures should tell the story and you as the commentator should just embellish what you see on the screen. Basically add value to what you can see. A little example on, on radio. The ball's down the right-hand side for a cross into the box. You'd say something like, Smith takes it down the right wing, jinks past his defender, a burst of speed, gets to the byline, pulls the ball back, outswinging cross. Whereas on TV, it might be as simple as Smith beats his man, promising opportunity cross you know and that's it and the idea is that you don't need to tell people what's going on because on tv you can see what's going on so just add value on tv so it's it's difficult sometimes for radio commentators and, and, and i was guilty of this at the start in my transition to rein it in to be able to minimize what you're saying because in radio you're a blabbermouth on tv you're really having to think carefully and pick your words to make sure they just adds value to what you're seeing and it doesn't just become uh, a background noise which it quite easily can do on tv it's like why is that guy saying so much you know if somebody crosses it with their right foot you don't need to say right foot cross you can see on tv it's a right foot cross it's pretty important on radio that you do say that particularly if they're going down the right wing because if it's a right foot cross you know they're still going towards the byline they've not cut back inside tried to beat their guy and then whip it in with their left so there are lots of different nuances and i could go on for hours and hours about this and bore people but they're the main ones and on tv and i guess this is again like um a, a different kind of aspect to, to being in the UK and the US. In the US, you're reading a lot more commercials during the game. Like, I, can, oh, of I course. can tell you a few of those little crazy ones. Yeah, go on. Yeah. In, in the middle of doing a TV commentary, the floor manager will hand over a card, which is a commercial read, and the producer's in your ear saying, read, and if there's a break, like a goal kick or something, 
I've got a card and the most hilarious one was an, an advert for a fast food chain called Dairy Queen, which specialised in ice creams. And it was something like, you know, um, um, Rosales tries to beat his man, couldn't quite get their goal kick. Now a Dairy Queen, the 2.99 Choco Chunk Blizzard deal is back on. Creamy caramel chunks with smooth vanilla ice cream. <laughs> and then the kicker comes in and you can't do this lightly with because if you did this lightly and didn't really put your full kind of effort into it it would sound pathetic the tagline was dairy queen so good it's ridiculous oh no Thank you for dairy queen ridiculous and there's no way you could hide that and you're either going to be embarrassed reading that out or you just go with the flow and make it something and i went with the flow and Seattle Sounders fans actually pretty pretty much loved waiting for the moment during a game where I would be advertising the Dairy Queen Choco Chunk Blizzard. Um, so there's lots of differences between radio and TV and then American radio and American TV compared to the UK. So that's a long way of saying there's, there's a whole bunch different. Did you ever think you'd be um, doing that for Dairy Queen when you first stepped foot onto St. Helen Street all those years ago as a, <laughs> as a youngster? <laughs> Well, that's the thing. You never know where life takes you and you've got to roll with the opportunities. No, absolutely not. So born and bred in Loughborough, you know, 17 miles down the road from, from Derby. But my brother-in-law at the time was, was my, my, um, my sister's boyfriend and he was working as the late night radio DJ at BBC Radio Derby on a Saturday night, Friday and Saturday night. And I, and I just had this idea as a 16 year old that I wanted to get into the media and he seemed to be a good way in. Um, and I, I took it from three Saturday afternoons as like a work experience and parlayed that into 16 years of the BBC. And at no point did I ever think I'd be living in America. And that's one of the funny things. You just kind of take take the, the avenues and the opportunities that come to you. And it was all through my relationships that began at Radio Derby with a guy called Arlo White that led to my job in Seattle. And um, yeah, I started as a 16 year old, did everything I could, worked unpaid for two years at Radio Derby in the, in the back room, turning around the, the five live match reports from other games around the country and making tea and coffee for people, filling out local score sheets from Graham Street Prims and Michelob Sports and stuff like that. And then from there, built my relationships, built my resume, went on to, after 10 years at Radio Derby, work at BBC East Midlands Today, Five Live, BBC World, doing um, TV sports broadcasts for their global channel and from there when Arlo White who I met at Radio Derby went on to be the Seattle Sounders commentator in Major League Soccer we kept in touch and then one day he said right Ross on the quiet I'm moving on to NBC to do Major League Soccer for the national television um, they need a replacement for me how do you fancy it if I recommend you and I'd, I'd helped Arlo out circuitously getting his job at Five Live by making a demo tape for him and pretending one afternoon because he was the, the Alfreton Town reporter. Again, like did six months with Alfreton Town, no money, but can you do this? And Arlo said, yeah, of course, because he wanted his big break like me. And he didn't have a demo tape and wanted to interview for Five Live. And so one Saturday afternoon after he came back from an Alfreton game, we, we sat in the studio off air and I pretended to be the presenter and I would introduce him on his mobile phone outside St. Helen Street Derby, reading off his old match reports. And I compiled this demo tape for him. So um, he sent it off to Five Live, got a job at Five Live off the back of his own brilliance, but the demo tape was a part of it. And we just became friends and stayed in touch. And he knew that I quite liked the idea of, of trying new things. And so in 
2011. I'd, I'd been the year before to Vancouver to work for a month at the Winter Olympic Games. Love the area. Vancouver is very close to Seattle and the Pacific Northwest, mm. just over the border. And I said, if anything ever comes up Major League Soccer-wise, let me know. And he recommended me for the gig. And that's how I ended up in 2012, packing two suitcases and a backpack, waiting seven months for my wife to join me while she finished up work, also with the BBC, and coming over, starting this odyssey in the US. And, and we said at the time, I did a three-year contract and said, okay, you know, we'll be here three years. We haven't got any kids at the time. We just got married. We'd only got married in September 2011. And five months later, here's this life-changing event. We'll just do three years, have a nice experience and call it good and go back to our quote-unquote normal lives. And then 10 years, two American-born kids and a couple of houses later, <laughs> we're still here. So yeah, so again, long way of answering your question. No, I, I could never have imagined as a 16-year-old walking through the brown uh, double doors in the front of St. Helens Street, the Colin Bloomfield house now as it is to, to think, you know, Another 16 years later, I'd be living in the US and then 10 years on top of that, I'd still be here. See, uh, you could see my face lighting up a little bit there, a few things you were saying, because I've been down the line of the, the work experience and the, we just go and do Alfreton and making, <laughs> making Nigel cash cups of tea and uh, doing all that. So it's amazing to see the careers that you and Arlo have gone on to have. And how important was your time at, at Derby? And it's, it's always a difficult time of your career, isn't it, when you're trying to, to make your way, but I always think BBC Local Radio is a good kind of base because you learn a lot and you get thrown in to do a lot and you, you have to learn, don't you, really? Absolutely. You kind of learn on the job and, and quite often that's that's one of the best ways. You learn by your mistakes as so long as you don't make too many and too many big ones. But really, for me, it was foundational. My time at, at BBC Radio Derby, I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for the opportunities I was given by Colin Gibson, the sports editor, longtime sports editor, who I know he's back doing bits for, for Radio Derby now, and that's a wonderful kind of circular way of things. But the other thing to remember is for broadcasters, there's nothing quite like the BBC, and it takes its knocks, it takes its licks, and in this hyper-partisan world of politics these days, it's, it's a real shame to see so many people attack what is such an incredible institution, because no other place would have given me the opportunities in broadcasting that I had and I remember clearly as a 19-year-old, while I was just doing Saturday afternoons for £10 a day, which would cover my sandwiches and my train fare from Sheffield, where I was doing economics at the University of Sheffield there, they said to me, look, we think you've got some talent here. We're going to send you to Bristol, the BBC, for a week-long presenter training course, all expenses paid, and we're going to try and make something out of you. And I don't know any other company that would take a part-timer at 19 years of age and pour those resources into trying to make them effectively into what I wanted to be, which was a BBC broadcaster. And that, for me, was incredible. And by doing that and by learning the BBC way, you understand so much about the craft, about understanding not only your role, but the audience's part in in what you do and what the audience expects and all that training was just brilliant and I think that's the wonderful thing the BBC does it, it offers something that not many other places do and I I cherish my time all my my years which spanned pretty much 14 years on and off at Radio Derby starting two years unpaid then doing like I say another couple of years for £10 a day, just, in, you know, in the studio. And then gradually you get a little bit of on-air time where you're reading out the um, the local results at five to six at the end of sports team, where it's 
Um, the Red Ferns International Removers, Central Midlands Football League, Travis Perkins, Supreme Division, Blidworth Colliery against Grand Street Prims, match postponed. You know, it's, it's brilliant. <laughs> and, and, and that's exactly how, how you get your start and you take it and you run with it. And then someone's off sick for a day and you jump into their shoes and then the boss notices you. Oh, maybe you're all right at that. We'll give you another opportunity. And at 19, you know, I was presenting the Saturday 12 till 2 programme before the main sports scene show on Radio Derby. And at 20, just before my last day of my last exam at the University of Sheffield, um, I got my full-time job at BBC Radio Derby because the previous other sports producer, Pam Melbourne, left. There was an opportunity. The timing was so fortunate. It's like what they, they say. It's not, you know, necessarily all about skill necessarily some of it is, is timing and opportunity i had a little bit of skill i passed the interview and i did it on the last day of my last exam at the university of sheffield nine till 12 advanced econometrics couldn't care less I, you know i love my time at university but the 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 economic side of things was it was okay but my passion was radio i did the exam nine till 12 drove down in my little peugeot 205 my little tin tin peugeot 205 four-speed gearbox fast as i could to radio derby for a two o'clock interview, did the interview two till three, drove home to my parents' house in Loughborough. Five o'clock, got a call from the sports editor, Mike Betterson, uh, from the station editor, Mike Betterson. And he said, you've got the job. Um, and I said, fantastic, thank you. And this is like early June. I said, I've just finished university, literally. Can I have a couple of months off to enjoy it and start when the new football season starts? He says, nope, you're starting next week. <laughs> and that, and that that. I said, I can't really turn that down, can I? He said, no, you can't. So, yeah, I'll always look back on my time at Radio Derby with incredible memories because, yeah, I did eight years of, of actual commentary, but 14 years, I think it was, um, of, of like pitch side reporting, working in the studio, working my way up, presenting the drive time news, news and sports show for eight years, interviewing Tony Blair at the age of 23 when he was the prime minister at the time of the second Iraq war, which kind of catapulted my way into the news side of things. Just incredible experiences that... I'll never forget and, and always be very grateful to BBC Radio Derby for the opportunity of. We've got to talk about Graham Richards. Um, he was like the voice of, I still watch YouTube videos all the time just for the, uh, what a piece of Argentine dexterity in the, in the little clips. But he must have been a brilliant man to work with and an even more difficult man to follow on, on commentary. That's a great point. That's a really great point, Blake, because um, Graham was the doyen. He was the grand master of, of commentary, not only at BBC Radio Derby, but one of the best to do it in the BBC. He just had an incredible turn of phrase, didn't he? Like you say, you know, it's that thing of, was it Rotherham? Call us custard. One, two, three. And yeah. the penalty that, that helps Derby get promoted from the, from the uh, how circular is this and the doldrums of, of the old Division Three, I think it was. And we're kind of full circle now in the third tier of, of football for Derby. But yeah, Graham was a wonderful commentator and I was a little bit intimidated by him. And why wouldn't you be? Because I was a 17, 18 year old at the time. And then I occasionally got to work as the presenter when Colin Gibson was on holiday or away with Graham Richards at certain football games. And he just had that look that just, you felt, oh my gosh, slightly intimidated when you're asking him a question, thinking, was that a smart question or was that a really dumb thing to ask him on air? And you never quite knew because he had this authority and the fact that, you know, Monday to Friday, he was a stipendry magistrate in Stoke handing out punishment to criminals. And then there he was on a Saturday kind of dishing it out to Derby County players and the opponents without any fear or favour. So I was always slightly intimidated by Graham, but um, 
he was he, you know he's a good guy and then i got my opportunity to to take over from him but after 26 years you think crikey how am i going to do this i was a 23 year old so our styles could not have been more different because he had this incredibly deep, gravelly voice with a wonderful turn of phrase and wasn't afraid to lay the criticism on thick of, of both Derby when it needed to be done and the opponents. And that wasn't necessarily my style. I was probably a bit more upbeat and a little more energetic, but I was 23. And so I wrestled with that for quite a while on how would I present myself as the commentator. And there was absolutely no point in trying to emulate Graham or copy any of Graham's style because he was unique. He was idiosyncratic. He had his own wonderful way. And so I just tried as hard as I could to be me. And it took probably three years until I felt fully comfortable to be on top of it and think, yeah, this is me. This is my domain. And there's always that crossover of people that will either love you or hate you to begin with. Because change is hard, and particularly when the change is seismic, from a guy who's like this to me who's completely different style. Um, and, and it wasn't quite the days of social media, but, you know, you could get feedback from emails and sports scene talking and people on the phone lines and stuff like that. And, you know, you have to put your tin hat on and, and, and take some of the rough with the smooth. But in the end, it was a pretty good transition for me. But the one thing I always told myself was to be yourself, back your own talent, back your own skill, and then let the chips fall as they may. And, and fortunately for me, I had a, a pretty long and, and very enjoyable time as the commentator until, you know, I felt it was time myself to move on. You mentioned briefly there in uh, the sports scene talking, uh, affectionately known as a moaning towards Derby fans at times. But um, <laughs> that's, um, it's, it's kind of not died off because it's still done and it's totally different now with social media and how things are done. But it used to be, essential listening six o'clock every Monday night to listen to the people that rang and you'd get hundreds and hundreds of callers it was that in itself must have been a difficult thing to, to try and manage and taking calls after games and things like that yeah there's quite a skill it's quite an art to being the host of one of those shows particularly when it's a one team program all you're talking about is that one team which is awesome for Rams fans because you know you're going to get an hour of unadulterated Derby County talk. Not many other places you're going to get that on, on the BBC or commercial radio. Uh, and it was, during my time, always pretty tricky. It was always a pretty tricky thing to host because the team was never really doing that well. We had, you know, a year under George Burley where got to the playoffs and didn't quite happen. And then Billy Davis and going up into the Premier League was a fantastic season. Then the 2007-2008 season was an utter disaster. And then there was always the stuff going on in the background, the three amigos, the takeovers, the controversies. There was always something going on which made it pretty tricky from an editorial and occasionally legal standpoint to be able to make a successful hour of sports talk radio. And I have to admit, I love the commentary. I love the free-flowing, the drama, the tension, the being, being able to be the eyes and ears and describing stuff and the passion and emotion that goes with calling a game in front of 30,000 people and knowing there's lots of people listening on the radio back home or in the car or wherever. But the, to the, the talking, I never really relished the idea of, of, of doing the show because, like you say, the moaning element was real. It, it was absolutely real. And if Derby had won 3-0 next Monday two days after the game, 
there wouldn't ever really be that many corners because there was nothing for people to actually get their teeth into because it's just human nature, isn't it? We all love a good moan and it's easier to criticise than it is to constructively praise and think about why things have gone well. It's human nature. Newspapers. Newspapers aren't just full of joyous news. Fantastic. Another 25 Celsius degree day today. Aren't we all happy? You know, things that get people talking and buying newspapers are controversy and occasionally, you know, more often than not, bad news. And I was just chatting to you before this podcast started at the time of us recording this on what Tuesday, May 17th, that I'm enamoured by the Colleen Rooney Rebecca Vardy court case. Why should I be? Because it's entirely surface level nonsense to most of us. But that kind of, oh, who's going to get got in this high court case and what a, what a, what a farce it kind of is, makes you think, you know, it's, it's kind of bad news for somebody there and it's controversial. Whereas if it was all kind of, oh, Colleen Rooney and Rebecca Varney, they're best friends. Oh, isn't it wonderful to see them out shopping at Waitrose together or look at them, they're having dinner. No one cares. It's the bad news and, and, and the controversy that gets us going as humans. And that's why the talking, whenever Derby had won, was, was pretty difficult to do because nobody really wanted to chat. And then on the other side of things, if they lost, you're just getting ready for an hour of people moaning and hammering. and um, Everyone's entitled to their opinion. But what I will say is some people's opinions are more valid than others. And not every time was everybody's point of view well thought out or necessarily accurate. And it, and it kind of wears on you after a few years of having to not have to correct everybody when they come on on their point of view, if there's a factual error, but go with it, roll with it and try and make something coherent by way of response and, and make it entertaining at the same time for people who don't phone in, who are, you know, the 97% of the audience, because that's what it is. Not many people are moved to call in. The majority of people are people that just listen and enjoy it. There's only a very small minority, in fact, of people who want to call in to have themselves heard. So, yeah, the phone-in wasn't always my favourite, but it provided a few moments of levity. I was going to ask you how um, media and journalism had changed in, in your time uh, um, of working in it. And one thing I think about working on the talking was I think social media kind of had an effect. And as a football fan, if I'm not particularly happy that Rooney's subbed off Tom Lawrence after an hour, I can tweet it in the ground and then by the time I've left the ground, I'm over it and uh, people have reacted to me. So that, that, in, that in, uh, instantaneousness of it now, I think, do people wait to a Monday now to have their rant or do they see it all and do it all instantly? And the same with the reporting, it's all very clickbaity. Like today I've been clicking on articles where it's, you'll never believe what Jamie Vardy said about Wayne Rooney outside court. And I'm like, bang, I'll have some of that. But do you know what I mean? It's, <laughs> everything's very instant now, isn't it? It absolutely is. Yeah, social media is the biggest driver of change in, in, in broadcasting, not just sports broadcasting. Absolutely changed the game. And it's almost nostalgic that the sports scene talking is still going. That the idea, and I haven't, I have to admit, I haven't listened for years. It's just outside of my wheelhouse these days. But I, I should have a listen one of these days just to hear what it's like. Because I imagine it's all, I guess, tweets these days. I'm, I'm big into Twitter for information purposes. And it's sad that I can't take my eyes away from it for hours every day. And I really should go and live my life rather than just stare at a, a mobile phone screen and see what people are, are thinking and saying about all sorts of topics in the world every day. But during my time as Sports Team Talking host, it was the, the idea is, you know, it's a talk in, you phone in, you have your say and you have conversation and debate. And so much of that has been stymied by the fact that people can just very easily tweet their thoughts text their thoughts whatever and there's there's a there's a million 
social media platforms out there to get your point of view across. So yeah, I feel like it's 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 a nostalgia blast to to wait over forty eight hours to then talk about the game on a radio show on a Monday night at six pm. It, it's kind of alien, isn't it, these days? When, like you say, everything is in the instant, and then by the evening, it's fish and chip wrapper. Um, in in so you know in, in random terms, but um, I think these days also it's it's creeping into the the actual run of game itself too that even during my time with the sounders there was um, a little bit of a push to try and have social media comment during the game and i said guys you know i love the idea of interactivity but you have to draw a line somewhere we don't always want to know what everybody is thinking about the game at any given point let the game be the game there's a time for debate let that be you know during the interval or after the game but it's almost too much the idea of second screen that you want to be listening to what people are saying on 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 the sidelines on twitter or whatever social media platform while the game's going on that's an encroachment too far in my eyes i think but you know there's there's so much social media these days that that makes makes football and sports debate happen outside of the actual game itself and it's it's completely different to that that idea, almost that that beautiful naivety of waiting forty eight hours to pick up the phone and dial six one six one six one and have you have your say on Derby from what seems like a lifetime ago these days at least. It was very surprising this morning to me about about six o'clock this morning when I opened Twitter and saw lots of positive news about Derby County, which um, hasn't happened in a in a long while. Are you keeping across? Are you do you keep your eye out for Derby County still? Yeah, of course. Yeah, absolutely. And again, social media is a great way of, mm. of keeping in touch, isn't it? That I can just click on this morning and saw Chris Kirshner's tweets about taking over the club subject to certain conditions. And again, as we we record this podcast on a, on a Tuesday morning for me, Tuesday evening for you, what's true now might not be true in a day's time. And as we speak, there's still conditions around the sale of the stadium to get this takeover deal over the line and it brings me back to the the days of the takeovers from the three amigos from jeremy keith john Slighthome, and and can't remember his name harding I mean, they so, so long ago the three guys that took over derby county years ago and we all had this moment where we're thinking whoa what's going to happen now and in those days the idea of leveraging the stadium to buy a club for a pound were were, were few and far between and, and reporting on it wasn't quite the same as it is now but we're all used to leverage buyouts with the glazers at manchester united and i don't know the financial details of, of kirshner with derby this time but it makes me kind of go back to those days of the three amigos and wondering and worrying and peter gadsby's time in charge of derby and then andy appleby with his uh, general sports and entertainment takeover. So Derby fans are kind of really used to it, aren't they? Now with, with, with takeovers, it's nothing new. It's it's not like uh, any other football team where they seem to have relatively stable ownership. Just you, you you never have a dull day with Derby County, and I don't think I ever did, and I don't think there ever will be a dull day still to come uh, with the Rams. Quite amazing. I did tweet something similar a few weeks ago, and I just just put just one normal day. That's all I ask. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not Just... going to happen, though, is it? It's going to it's going to carry on. And I mean, even even the managerial thing to it that Derby don't just go and get any old manager. They go and get Frank Lampard, you know, and, and go for this high profile approach. And you know, Wayne Rooney now with Colleen Rooney and all that that comes with it. There's there's almost a, an an element of of celebrity, the longing for celebrity in the last few years around Derby that has just continued the circus 
um, that means there is never a dull day at, at Derby County. And, and I, I wait to see with interest what will happen with Wayne Rooney and how long he sticks around and whether Derby, you know, can climb their way back up from the third tier. The first time I, you probably weren't alive, were you, the last time Derby no, were, were no. in the old third division? No, no, I wasn't. <laughs> but like you say, it's a, the, the sum up of Derby County that the managers in the High Court talking about some Instagram posts the same day the club has potentially been taken over. And it's just another day at Derby County. Doesn't um, surprise me. No. <laughs> We've got a favourite moment that you called for the Rams. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, there were a lot of good times, still a lot of down times as well. But the one I always come back to is the semi-final playoff against Southampton, the second leg in 2007, where Derby had done the business down in Southampton, what, a week or so before. But then the game itself at Pride Park, packed house, went to penalties. And as a commentator, a playoff semi-final going to penalties for the chance to get to Wembley and back to the promised land of the Premier League after a long hiatus, was just the stuff of dreams. And you have so much imagery to work with as a commentator there. And you're just tingling the whole time. Your, your hairs are standing on end and your spine is tingling from this moment because it's, it's potential history. You know, one building block away from the Premier League. And this game just had it all. Tension, drama, um, goals and game swing states back to front. Are oh, Derby going to make it? Yes, they are. No, they're not. Hold on. Yes, they are. No, they're not. Okay, extra time and then penalties. And it wasn't just for the fact the game had the drama, that it was almost meant to be when this incredible rainstorm just started battering down on the Prime Park roof and you could hear it. And it was almost biblical. There's like this biblical storm in this incredible moment. And the penalty shootout itself was just caked in drama, not least because Inigo Idiake, former Derby player, terrific servant for the few years he was there, was taking the decisive penalty for Southampton. And my commentary, I still remember it, and a couple of Rams fans still tweet me to this day, at least two or three times a, a, a year, about, you know, it's so, so Wembley, because I, I came out with, with a catchphrase line that has stuck with so many people. And I really enjoyed that moment that, it was something like, if Inigo Idiakev misses this penalty, Derby County are going to Wembley. Idiakev, up he steps, right footed! And then you just hear the roar of the Derby crowd, and I let it go for a second or two, because everyone knew it meant he'd missed. Idiakev smashes it over the bar! Derby County are going to Wembley! It is so, so Wembley! And then Billy Davis runs out in his black suit, white shirt, black and white tie, and is just engulfed by the players. And they don't care that it's it's piling on with rain and they're all jumping up and down, jubilant. They're going to Wembley. And it was just this firecracker of a moment where you feel privileged to be a part of it. I'm getting paid to be in this moment and to, to make a few memories at the same time. And that was just kind of the pinnacle for me of, of my time at, at, at Derby. It was a successful moment for the club and we've waited a long time for a moment like that. And you might say, well, why wasn't the playoff final win the moment? But it was, to me, that was just a weird day. And that might sound odd because Derby obviously beat West Brom and that was the day they did go up to the Premier League and return. But there were just things around it. It was kind of a grey, overcast day and... 
Um, Derby didn't play particularly well. They were overawed by West Brom, but they got it done. And then Billy Davis on the final whistle verbally attacked Ted McMinn, who was doing the co-commentary alongside me. And that was just kind of, dude, seriously? You're using your first response to a question or a live pitch side interview two minutes after winning the playoff final to, to settle petty grievances. And it took a little bit of the edge off the day for me and soured it. And, and it was just a bizarre day itself. That's why the, the semi-final for me just stood out because it was on home territory. It was incredibly dramatic. I felt like I, I, I did justice to the, the goal call and the day itself. And there were just wonderful memories from it. So that has to be the standout moment for me from yeah my time calling hundreds and hundreds of Derby County games. I need to thank you personally for, for that because it has helped me out in many a uh, package on trail in the playoffs over the years. The, <laughs> it's so, so Wembley. <laughs> Good. Thank you. Well, it still lives on. And you know what? I think actually this is how geeky I am, Blake, and you'll, you'll know this. I don't know if even the full commentary was kept in the, in the highlights. I think they clipped out a really important bit in the preamble leading up to it. And this means nothing to nobody. But I'd love you to go back and have a look if you ever can and, and send me that commentary and see how much of it remains from the day because I'd love to keep it. I don't think I ever kept it on my own personal archive. So that's my one request from doing this podcast that I get to hear that Eddie Arkhead clip one more time because it was just I'll great. I'll get it. I'll get it tomorrow. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'll put you on the clock. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's fine. Um, I wanted to ask you as we as we head towards the end, obviously we're talking about the playoffs and um, uh, Nottingham Forest in the playoffs this evening. And uh, we both know Chippers, and he, he was talking to me about this, and he asked me to ask you, you're not, not a Forest fan, are you? Dear, oh dear, how can you ever ask something like that? See, Robin <laughs> Chipperfield, BBC Radio Nottingham, South End United fan, runs off to Australia and tries to put cats among pigeons. How dare he? He knows he can't be shelled for that, can he? He's too far away. Do you still keep across the football? We're watching the playoffs later. I'm, I'm actually a little bit anxious. Um, a game derby aren't even in because um I don't know it's, there's something a bit tribal about seeing all the Nottingham Forest fans on the pitch this evening if they, they get the victory with the smoke bombs and they're all going and they're being happy and we're not I think that's as petty as the rivalry gets for me um they're going yeah. and we're not but yeah will you be watching yeah. it's I, I, I to be honest I keep in touch with stuff but I don't watch a lot of football these days back over from the UK there's just so much going on over here. And like 10 years in, you, you don't become desensitized to it, of course. Like you always look out for results and stuff. But you're kind of living a different life over in the US where a lot of our time is taken up naturally watching US sports. I watch a lot of hockey these days. I watch NFL. And if I want to get up and watch any um, championship, then it's you know, seven in the morning or five in the morning for me where I live on the West Coast with an eight-hour time difference. So it's difficult. But am I dipping? I've got my ESPN Plus subscription package, which lets me watch playoffs so I, I might dip in depending on the school runs and picking up my daughters and see how it goes but uh yeah that's the thing it's sad isn't it that with, with the rams down in the third tier that particularly if forests go up they might not have those rivalry games for a, a good few years and one of the other memories that sticks out for me when you ask about best memories is is the kenko coffee cup game back in what 2003 maybe paul oh, pesky yeah. solido yeah getting the the goal off the Kenko coffee cup when the, the clearance didn't go right as Derby rampaged over Forest 4-2 and both teams were scrabbling desperately against relegation from the championship. That was another kind of wet and windy day at Pride Park that was just one of those that was chock full of memories. So those games you'll miss and the FA Cup win at, 
at the city ground for, for Derby when Nigel Clough took over as, as Rams manager and beat Forrest. And it was the first time I think Derby had won there in 30 odd years. I almost remember writing my post-match, post-match report, my 42nd report and putting, you know, putting in these, these games so long ago, I can't remember exactly, but putting in, you know, a historical date that, you know, Nigel Clough had just come on from being the Burton manager. And in a couple of weeks, he'd, he'd stuck one over his old club and created history for Derby, become the manager of, you know, the team that, loved his dad when he was in charge and winning winning league championships so yeah the kenko coffee cup was another great day but yeah the forest derby rivalry um you just almost in a way there's two ways of looking at it you you'll miss the fact they aren't playing rivalry games next season but it helps a bit to have separation to then come back and you know the first one back after and the x number of years hopefully not too far away will mean something more because it's not just another um another couple of games in the season that you almost get used to. It will have a bit of an extra spark the next time they meet because of the difference in league status now. I do agree with that. I think my last couple of visits to the city ground, it has been very, we've both had 14 years in the same league and it's very, it's lost that edge a little bit. So I think you're spot on with that. And it's something I've, I've thought about. It's, it's nice to have a break. I wish it was all the way around league wise, but um, I can cope with having a break. It's something that's happened here as well, that when Seattle Sounders came into major league soccer, in 2009, they didn't have um, their greatest rival to play, Portland Timbers, because they didn't come into the league until the year after in 2010. And then I came on board in 2012 and they'd only played, I think, four or five games between each other. And it is a ferocious rivalry and the atmospheres are incredible. You think football, America, great atmospheres, but they, they genuinely are brilliant. It's one of the best rivalries in world football because they genuinely do have kind of loathing and hatred between the two fan bases. And they'd only played each other four or five times. And the atmospheres when I came to watch those um, Seattle Sounders, Portland Timbers games were just otherworldly because it meant so much to these fan bases because they hadn't been able to see each other play against each other for 25 years because of the way Major League Soccer had come and gone and the NASL in the 70s. The leagues just weren't stable. And here in Major League Soccer was a chance to rekindle this rivalry. And it went from that point of being, wow, this is a rarity and an incredible rivalry. And don't get me wrong, the rivalry is still fierce, but to the point of being, oh, we're playing them for a fifth time this season because we've met three times in the league, one time in the US Open Cup and then twice in the playoffs. And so the rivalry lost a little bit of its edge. So that might be a good thing for Derby and Forest, just to have a little bit of time away from each other, kind of warring family factions. You could just call it off for a bit, go and live in your own houses for a couple of years and then come back and try and live again together and, and see how you like it. I like that. I like that analogy. Um, just a couple more before we end. I wanted to ask you for, for your one piece of advice for someone who, who started on the path that you started on at, at 16 um, for a, a career in the media and, and journalism. What's the, the one piece you tell a, a 16-year-old potential Ross Fletcher yeah take your opportunities don't take no for an answer don't be annoying when you get when you get given a no don't kind of harangue the person you're trying to make your dream come true but work out a way of building a relationship with people um but when you're offered something and run with it if you can not everybody has the the ability to do that and I was very very fortunate that I I could go and you know work as a 16 year old for free for two years um, and 
um, I had support in that. Not everybody can. I know health and safety laws have changed where it's not so easy to just rock up as a 16 year old and say, hey, can I just come and work with you? There's all sorts of differences now that you have to go through formal schemes and stuff. But I would say, you know, make the most of your opportunities, even if it's not something that is your ideal opportunity, it might parlay into something that you do really want to do. Um, when I started out, you know, did I really want to be filling out score sheets and not getting paid and making teas and coffees for people and working every boxing day for free and missing my family and um, all that kind of stuff? No, but was it worth it in the end? Yes. So when you get the opportunity, work hard at it, be humble with it, um, but build your contacts and, and keep in touch with people and, and be friendly and say every now and again, hey, might I be able to do this? Might I be able to do that? And if it's a reasonable ask, quite often it's difficult for that person who, who might be doing the thing that you want to do or help you on the way to say no. So I think that's my advice. You know, take your opportunity. Don't take no for an answer. Be humble about it. Uh, and work your way into something and, and, and accept that it won't happen overnight for you. It will be a process. Nobody is, is handed anything for free and it's great all of a sudden you have to work at it. So I think all, all in all, it's that, it's that, that's that combination of factors. There's no one, one single piece of advice. It's all those little things that help potentially build you on, on your way to what you want to be. There's no guarantees you'll get there. Timing and opportunity like I was fortunate with don't always work out. But when you get that opportunity and the timing is right, use your talent, back your ability, build from there and see where it takes you. Amazing. Thank you. What's, what's left for Ross Fletcher to achieve? What have you got goals still that you want to do career-wise? <laughs> it's a really good question. Um, it's, I have been so incredibly fortunate to, to do what I do. And I feel like I've never really worked. That for me, my job has always been my hobby and my passion. And I spent 16 years in the BBC, the greatest broadcasting institution in the world. And I'll never, um, I'll, I'll never look back on a day that went by there and think I wasn't fortunate. Um, commentating for the BBC, working in local, regional, national, international TV and radio for the BBC was always a dream. And I managed to do that. Working in a different country and then 10 years on doing that in, in sports, TV and radio. Tick that off, off the checklist. And again, you know, other little things. I worked at a Soccer World Cup. I spent six weeks in Russia at the 2018 World Cup making feature films for, for a global audience. I've, I've, I've reported at seven Olympic Games all around the world and Youth Olympic Games beyond that in places from as far as Singapore and Beijing to Buenos Aires um, wow. and, and, and beyond. So in terms of my, my career in sports... I feel like I've ticked off a lot of those boxes, but there's always a desire to do more. And there's always a desire to better yourself. And I'm still learning in my forties. There's still stuff that I need to get better at and try and become. And so this, you know, this challenge in the last year with broadcasting hockey has been a, a, a really good challenge for me. And one that I've really enjoyed learning effectively how to broadcast a, a different sport, a new sport for me. You know, I covered it a bit in, in 2010 and when I was with, East Midlands today in 2011 with the Nottingham Panthers, but um, the National Hockey League is a whole different beast. It's one of the big four sports in the US. So being able to, to broadcast as a Brit in America on American Major League Sports was another major ambition that I never thought I wanted, but fell into and have now achieved. So I suppose it's continuing those experiences for me. It's being able to be as fortunate as I am now to, to do these things that 
that keep me energized and keep me juiced and keep me wanting to come back because sport is unpredictable. Life is unpredictable. Kind of roll with the punches and kind of enjoy that unpredictability. Who knows where it'll take me? I feel like I've been fortunate to achieve so much, but there's a whole world still out there, isn't there? There is indeed. And, and thank you so much for, for your time. As Again, I get a bit soppy at the end of these, but as someone who grew up listening to you, who wanted to go into a, a career of radio and broadcasting, it's an honour to be able to pick your brain and talk about Derby County and your career. So thank you very much, Ross. No, break. It's been, it's been brilliant. I really appreciate it. And um, going back down memory lane has been fantastic. And I hope you get to where you want to be. So, so come 20 years time, you'll be doing this and uh, waxing lyrical about all that you've been able to see and, and hear and achieve in your career. So Blake, thanks for having me.